That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Kanzano, here's Judah Newby with the Bald Faced Truth. I think what I've learned more than anything is patience is critical. Like, don't be reactive. Don't jump at things just to seemingly solve a problem. Um, I think the teams that have ended up the, in the most positive situation post-trade have been the ones that have been really diligent and taken their time and been not been impulsive or, you know, the teams that really kept their urgency under control so I think that's how my approach is going to has been with this and will be with this is we're going to be patient we're going to do what's best for our team um, and we're going to see you know how this lands and if it takes months it takes months I don't feel that I did everything because I wasn't able to get done what we had hoped to get done I mean the effort being there, which it was, that's one thing, but actually following through and getting the result is a whole nother. And to that extent, I do feel like I failed Dame, where you know, our goal was always to build around him and to be as high level as possible, as quickly as possible. And whether even internally, if we thought, well, hey, we're going in the right direction here, we can get there pretty quickly. If he didn't feel that, it was still a failure on my end and just not finding that right deal. I wouldn't say surprised. I think, you know, Dame's been great about communicating with us, you know, throughout his career. And, I mean, over the last three months since the season ended, we had numerous, numerous meetings with Dame where, you know, we understood his perspective and what his concerns were. So when those concerns weren't addressed by July 1st, I I understood why he went in that direction. And then it made sense to me. Um, it didn't surprise me, I wouldn't say, but it, anytime a player that you care about that much, you know, brings that news to you, it, it does jolt you, you know? So when you finally hear the truth or the, you finally face that reality, you know, it was jolting, but I wouldn't say surprising just because I knew that, you know, he had concerns about where the direction we were headed. What a time in Rib City. An all-time great on his way out, we think. And on the way in, another potential franchise great. 
There's a little bit of tension in Portland, but there's also a little hope, both for the future and maybe, dare we say maybe, hope to restore things the way they were before? Is it possible? Welcome into the show on this Monday, July 10th. I'm Judah Newby filling in for John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. We're going to take you up to 5 o'clock here in Portland and the MLB Home Run Derby from T-Mobile Park in Seattle. We'll get coverage of that. One of our own in that one in Sherwood's Adley Rutschman, not to mention Julio Rodriguez also competing in that as well. So that'll be coming up here on the uh, the Portland flagship at 5 o'clock here on uh, the Bold Face Truth. But we start with General Manager Joe Cronin and the Trailblazers as we are now uh, a full week and a couple days past the official trade request of Damian Lillard and the uh, subsequent desire to get to one team and one team only, the Miami Heat. Well, he's not in Miami yet, at least not officially, and uh, not a member of the Miami Heat to this point. The first clip you heard there from Cronin, and we're going to play for you all the audio from the Trailblazers general manager uh, throughout the course of the show. Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report will also stop by. Uh, He's down in Vegas. He was in person uh, with the Joe Cronin press conference that also featured the uh, reintroductions of Jeremy Grant and Matisse Teibel, who both re-up with the franchise as well. But had a few takeaways from the Joe Cronin press conference today. If you've got takeaways, you can chime in too at 503-417-7575. We'll be able to take your calls and pop you back on and have a little conversation about this uh, Damian Lillard saga. And it really is a saga. It feels that way. There's some that I've talked to that are ready for it to be over, that just wake me up when Dame is in Miami and we can turn the page and move forward. I understand that sentiment. I really do. I, I can understand the exhaustion factor of uh, of some Trailblazers fans, especially if you're a, a casual fan, that you've kind of just resigned yourself to the fact that Damian Lillard was fun and, and we enjoyed him while he was here in Portland, but we look forward to the Scoot Henderson era. But if you're a diehard Blazer fan, I think you really care about the process, the methodology, the ultimate, you know, final result of how Damian Lillard leaves Portland. It matters to you how Joe Cronin handles the trade discussions. It matters to you whether it's just a Portland-Miami deal or if there's a three-team or four-team deal out there to be had. The timeline matters to you. I think it matters to you if Damian Lillard is here in training camp. I think it matters to you if he's here in the preseason, if he's here, dare I say, for the regular season. If he's here all the way up to the trade deadline, as novel as it feels, and it does feel novel here in Portland for a player of Dame's stature and his perceived loyalty, you know, an average of $60 million coming his way in his age 35 and 36 seasons notwithstanding, but it's still loyalty to a small market franchise to have someone of his ilk and his reputation say, okay, I've had enough of it here. I want to go somewhere else. No real Blazer fan holds that against him. I think, you know, all the rational conversations that I've had with people, probably that you've had with people as Blazer fans, is we get it. You know, the the business side of it, we were trying to build a contending roster around Damian Lillard for, you know, at least a few years. Neil O'Shea will say that he was trying to, but I would venture to guess most of Neil O'Shea's roster moves were moves of self-preservation and extending his own tenure rather than it was expediting the process of winning an NBA championship. I don't really think that that's debatable. That being said, you know, Joe Cronin 
he did take accountability today in the press conference. And as far, you know, there's a lot of headlines about what Joe said about timeline and trading Damian Lillard and why it might not take uh, days. It, it might not take weeks. It might even take months and we'll get to that. But I also want to get to the fact that he took accountability for, in his words, failing Damian Lillard. And when I heard this audio, I was just like, there is no way on God's green earth that I would have heard these words come out of the mouth of Joe Cronin's predecessor. This was refreshing. I don't feel that I did everything because I wasn't able to get done what we had hoped to get done. I mean, the effort being there, which it was, that's one thing, but actually following through and getting the result is a whole nother. And to that extent, I do feel like I failed Dame, where, you know, our goal was always to build around him and to be as high level as possible, as quickly as possible. And whether even internally, if we thought, well, hey, we're going in the right direction here, we can get there pretty quickly. If he didn't feel that, it was still a failure on my end and just not finding that right deal. Could you imagine Neil Olshay saying those words? No way in hell. No way you would be saying, I failed Damian Lillard. I take accountability for failing to build a contender around Damian Lillard. So, that in and of itself, I do find refreshing uh, from Joe Cronin. Even if you can say, hey, man, you said you were going to build around him. You said you were going to build around him, and you didn't. At least Cronin says, you're right. I did say I was going to build around him, and I wasn't able to get that done. Now, how close was he to being able to get that done? He said there were a lot of different potential moves, moves that were... You know, not his words, but my words, I would say like at the 50-yard line, maybe in opposing territory. But Cronin said, look, there were a lot of deals that were almost there, but there was never a deal, a trade to be had, a trade for an established veteran player that would appease Dame. There wasn't a trade like that that was like in the red zone. I mean, there was so many deals that we're constantly talking through with teams, and there's so many that you think, you know, are right there and then you lose it or it resurfaces. So I don't know if we had anything like teed up incredibly to where we thought it was a 90% chance of happening, but there were a dozen deals that made sense for us that, you know, had a pretty good chance of happening. So I would have liked to have seen how that would have played out, but um, I understand by July 1st, if you don't have it, you know, you may not have it two weeks later either. I mean, he just mentioned it. If you don't have the deal done by July 1st, then reasonably it's hard to expect that you're going to have the deal done anytime after that as well, even though Joe himself said we were still trying to get a deal done. 503-417-7575. Two things I want to know from you, the listener. One, are you just done with it? Are you done with it the way that I'm kind of done with Pac-12 media rights negotiations, which is I don't care how it gets done. Just call me when it gets done, and we could talk about it and discuss the final process. You know, is that how you feel with this Damian Lillard saga? Just like, I'm exhausted. All right? Like, I love him, but call me when it's over. Or do you feel like, you know what? The process matters to me. The way that this comes together matters to me as a Trailblazer fan. Uh, because I want there to be an olive branch between both sides. I want there to be a mutually agreed upon landing spot for Damian Lillard that works out for Damian Lillard. I also want it to result in good value for the franchise that I love the most, that I root for the most, 
that I've got the most vested interest in, hopefully, one day, competing for an NBA championship. For the first time, you know, to win one since 19-freaking-77. And to play for one for the first time since the early 90s. Is that too much to ask? To get proper value in return for one of the 75 greatest players that this game has ever seen. I want to know which side of the fence you are on that. Are you done with it? Sam over? Or are you saying, look, the the nitty-gritty, the day-to-day, the negotiations, the reports, like, I'm taking them with a grain of salt, but the way that this trade gets accomplished does matter to me as a Blazer fan. 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at Jude Anubi or tweet at 750 The Game. Chad is in Portland. It's good to talk to you, Chad. How are you? Hey, it's good talking to you, Judah. Love the show. Love it when you're hosting, man. All you guys are great. I agree completely with all the points that you make, but I'm not over it because that's, like, not reality. I mean, I'm most for the Blazers, like you said, getting what they need to get out of this. And, you know, I mean, nobody forced Dame to sign that contract this year's extension. So I really don't – I love Dame, but I don't feel pity for him in that way. I mean – it would be weird. I think that there's no trade to be had, honestly, too. I think he's going to be on the bench hmm. uh, come October. I just don't see a trade that where we get that value that, like you said, a top 75 should deserve. I'll take it offline, man. Thank you all. Have a great day. Yeah, Chad is man. Consistent. Appreciate it. And you can chime in at 503-417-7575. No one forced Dame to sign the extension. I get that. I really do get that. But in the world of professional sports, can you ever hold it against a player to get his money and get his security? It's messy, man. It's It's got tangles. It's got knots. Because I'm, I'm the same way as Chad when I think about it with Lillard. It's like, hey, man, the only reason you were eligible to sign the extension that you signed last year was because you were drafted here in Portland, at least for the length and the numbers that you ended up getting average of 60 mil coming up here in a few seasons is age 35 and age 36 seasons going to get 57 and 63 million dollars respectively per year which also by the way might mitigate a bit of his trade value dare we say but at the same time you know the i think about it just a little bit more deeply I do understand if you're a player, like you've got to get the most money you can as soon as you can and get that security, especially in the world of the NBA with fully guaranteed contracts and make what you will of Dame's agent, Aaron Goodwin. That's his job too. And he did it. What sucks about it and what I think the fans resonate with the most and what I resonate with the most is the fact that he did it just a year ago and now one year later is asking out. Doesn't sit right. It doesn't sit right. And it shouldn't sit right. I think that should bother fans when guys are re-upping for that amount of money and that length of years. Isn't that supposed to mean something? Isn't that supposed to mean something with the player who we think is the greatest player in franchise history? Arguably. Don't tell Bill Simmons. But I get it from Dame's standpoint. Get the bag. Get the security. Get the money. But I felt like if anybody was going to be different and not Go the route of Kyrie, not go the route of Kevin Durant by getting the big bucks and then shortly thereafter asking for a trade. I thought it would be Damian Lillard. And yet at the same time, I kind of don't blame the man 
for asking for a trade if, in fact, that is really what he wants because the subplot to all of this, which is fascinating and head-scratching all at the same time, is are we sure we know what Damian Lillard really wants? Are we Are we sure that we know? We joked about it last week, but the man asked for a trade July 1. As Joe Cronin said, it was jolting. It was jolting. I was jolted by it, but I think anybody could reasonably understand the trade request. Of course, we've been kind of anticipating it for about a year now, potentially. But on top of that, with Dame, I mean, it was just like, I, I'll i believe it when I see it. Well, now the trade is official, so, you know, as Brian Wheeler would say, my eyes don't deceive, so I have to believe. God bless you, Wheels. Nobody like you. Hope you're doing well. And uh, as far as Damian Lillard's concerned moving forward with the franchise, I mean, I want to believe that it is indeed his desire to go to Miami and go to Miami at all costs because that's what Aaron Goodwin would lead us to believe. But I'm still thinking about that tweet from last Thursday night when Dame goes on Twitter and says, I'm amazed. And then here at the station using 750 The Game social media, we just tweet right back at him and ask the question everybody else would ask. Why? Why are you amazed? And he didn't have to respond. Like, you know, plenty of guys just thumb out a quick tweet, put their phone down, offer something a little cryptic, and then just call it a day. But Dame responded. He quote tweeted our tweet back at him, and we asked him why he's amazed. He said, at how people can know so much and so little at the same time. And that tweet was equal parts ambiguous and revealing, in my opinion, because to me it shows that he still he still feels a certain type of way, does Damian Lillard. He's got some emotions built up in him, or at least he did late last week, that he had to get something off his chest without revealing specifics. I feel like he's frustrated by this process, whether the pro- the way he's being portrayed by the media locally or nationally or by fans, the way that uh, Aaron Goodwin might be working behind the scenes might not be to Dame's liking. And we'll see. Who does he mean by people that know so much could also know so little at the same time? Is it the fan base? Is it his agent? Is it the media partners that he's normally tight with, like a, like a uh, uh, Chris Haynes or maybe even Shams or not really Woj. Woj doesn't really have stuff in Dame camp, but he's got stuff in Trailblazer camp, and Woj had a piece Thursday morning that kind of pitted Goodwin in a less than favorable light and uh, Joe Cronin in a in a little bit more of a favorable light and more of a leverage light. So that, I, that's what I've been thinking about with Dame. I like Ultimately, I think we all expect a trade to happen with Damian Lillard and that in all likelihood he's done playing in Portland. But the longer that this goes on, and Joe Cronin continues to say he's not afraid that it can last a while. I guess there's a chance that Dame is not done in Portland. And people are going to laugh at that. And I kind of laugh as I say it. But if you take Joe Cronin out his word, which I guess we've also learned not to, he says he's just going to be patient and he's not going to rush anything here. I think what I've learned more than anything is patience is critical. Like, don't be reactive don't jump at things just to seemingly solve a problem. Um, I think the teams that have 
ended up the, in the most positive situation post-trade have been the ones that have been really diligent and taken their time and been not been impulsive or, you know, the teams that really kept their urgency under control. So I think that's how my approach is gonna, has been with this and will be with this, is we're going to be patient, we're going to do what's best for our team, um, and we're going to see you know, how this lands. And if it takes months, it takes months. If it takes months, it takes months. Joe Cronin, July 10th, 2023. Buckle up, Blazer fans. Could be a bumpy road with Damian Lillard, Joe Cronin, and the future of the franchise and the franchise icon for the foreseeable future. 503-417-7575. Feel free to call in and give uh, your take on that. Are you done with the, the Dame saga, or do you find it uh, interesting, do you find Joe Cronin's comments refreshing when he takes accountability for failing Damian Lillard in his words? That is never something I would hear out of Neil O'Shea's mouth. I can guarantee you that. But uh, credit on Cronin for taking accountability for that. But also, now he's at the poker table with Pat Riley. Is Joe Cronin a guy that you've got trust in to play his cards right? I think we're about to see. It's kind of fun to think about. Things are exciting. There's a little tension. But there's excitement here in Portland, and it's weird because it's excitement with the exodus of Damian Lillard, the probable exodus of Damian Lillard, but it sure as heck beats the purgatory that we've been in for three years running, right? At least there's a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel, because Scoot's here. Scoot looks pretty dang good. Take your thoughts on that and a lot more. At Judah Newby, at 750 The Game, we'll go to break, and when we come back, Sean Hyken covers the Trailblazers and the NBA for the Rose Garden Report. He'll join us here on the Bald Face Truth and the BFT Radio Network from Vegas with his takeaways from Joe Conan, Cronin's uh, press conference this afternoon. Also, the official acquisitions or reacquisitions of Jeremy Grant and Matisse Teibel, which were the big uh, free agent moves that the Trailblazers did make, and they've been kind of quiet on the free agent front, understandably so because uh, things are on pause right now with the uncertainty around Damian Lillard. But Sean Hyken will join us from Vegas. That is coming up next right here on the BFT. Newbie in for Kizano on the Bold Face Truth Radio Network. MLB Home Run Derby coming up tonight. We got Adley Rutschman in this thing. The uh, Orioles slugger. First official uh, rookie year for Adley. is going pretty darn well, I would say. Made the all-star team and... Not starting, but will uh, will certainly make an appearance uh, throughout the game. And he'll star in the Home Run Derby tonight here on the Portland flagship. We'll have coverage of the MLB Home Run Derby starting at 5 o'clock uh, just uh, after I sign off here with the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Cazzano on the BFT today. And you at 503-417-7575. We can also take your tweets on uh, Twitter at 750thegame and at Judah Newby. Scott's in on Twitter, and he says... I'm a Dame fan, but he is a victim of terrible management for roughly a decade. I completely respect him for wanting out, but he abused his victim privileges by making an ultimatum and trying to hold the Blazers hostage. And I, look, I understand that sentiment from fans saying that, hey, Dame, I, I did feel bad for you because we didn't build a contending roster around you uh, during the time that you were here, at least not a uh, one that had multiple pathways to contend. But at the same time, by forcing your way out and by asking for a trade, and more specifically, asking for a trade to one place and one place only, that kind of puts the franchise I root for in a terrible position. So for that, I don't feel bad for you. 
And that's why this thing's complicated and, and it's got levels to it. And the moment that I feel a little bit of sympathy toward Damian Lillard and all of this is also the moment that I'm like, well, I mean, he did sign a huge contract extension about a year ago and is asking out. So he's kind of reaping the fruit uh, of his own actions. I don't begrudge him for getting the big deal or the big extension. It's just the reality of the way things go in uh, in this business. Uh, Larry's in on Twitter as well. He says, why is the current Blazers GM alluding his team could have been done better around Dame? The Blazers situation with Dame in the roster occurred before his time in the GM seat. I hope Dame suits up in an NBA uniform soon. I'm ready to see him play. I kind of am with you, Larry. The fact that Joe Cronin, you know, accepted responsibility and called it a failure on his part to not build a contending roster around Damian Lillard. But most of that fault certainly, certainly lies at the feet of Neil Olshay. That being said, when the stakes were at their highest in terms of the urgency, Damian Lillard going on record with Stephen A. Smith. Damian Lillard, you know, saying, hey, if we don't build a contending team around me soon, we're going to have a different conversation. He made iterations of that comment multiple times. Uh, you know, in the last year and a half. Joe Cronin's been at the helm the last year and a half. Now, he inherited the situation certainly from Olshay, who he was an assistant under, but at the same time, he had some high leverage opportunities to appease Dame, most notably the number three overall pick in the draft, etc. Didn't do it. However realistic you you think that may or may not have been is up for debate, but, you know, he had his opportunities. He had some swings to make it happen, and he didn't make it happen. So that does lie at Cronin's feet. And for that, I think taking accountability is the right move. Plus, it kind of makes him look good. I think it makes Joe Cronin look really good to think that, you know, hey, I can be a big enough man to accept responsibility for not building a contending roster around Damian Lillard. Uh, Let's go to the phones right now. Sean Hyken uh, is covering the Trailblazers in Summer League from Vegas. He was covering the Joe Cronin press conference. I actually spoke to him just before we went on air with the show because the Trailblazers are going to be practicing at Summer League right now. So Hyken was kind enough to join us for just a few moments before the show and talk about his overall impressions from Joe Cronin's press conference and more from Summer League. So I started just by asking him what his overall takeaways were from Cronin's comments this afternoon. Well, so the two headlines I would say from it are he was very, you know, honest, which I was, you know, you don't really hear this a lot from GM. He said the words, I failed Dane. He acknowledged that he set out with a goal to, you know, put win now pieces around Dane that would make him happy and want to stay here in Portland and that he was unable to do that. And he feels like it was a personal failure on his part. That was one thing he said. And the other thing, as far as like the news part of it and, you know, how this is going to go is he said he made it clear. And this is something that I have been hearing for at least a week was that he is not in any kind of rush to make a deal. And he is not going to just do a deal just to do a deal or just to get Dame where he wants to go. He's going to wait until and the line that he had today was if it takes months, it takes months. So he's really not feeling like he's under any kind of pressure to get a deal done anytime soon if he doesn't get a deal that he likes. If if you were to uh, guess or handicap it, do you think this could last until training camp, last until the start of the season? Would it be uncomfortable with Damian or the franchise if it did last that long? Well, I mean, it's not it, it's not outside the realm of possibility, and it's been done. Look at what happened a year ago. Kevin Durant very publicly requested a trade out of Brooklyn and went to the step of 
going to ownership and it, with the Nets with Joe Sy and saying, either fire both Sean Marks and Steve Nash or trade me. And they didn't find a deal they liked, so they didn't trade him. And he showed up to training camp and played that season and did his job and was a pro. And then they revisited it at the deadline when the situation changed and the offers changed. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that that happens. Would it be uncomfortable? Yeah, but it also wouldn't be the first time that in NBA history that there's an uncomfortable situation like that. Like, so I could see it happening that way. If Joe doesn't get a deal that he likes. What do you, what do you make of Damian Lillard's perceived attitude, uh, real attitude toward all of this? Uh, is he firmly, you know, wanting to exit or is there any notion that, uh, he may have a, have a change of heart of some kind down the road. However, minute a chance that may be. Well, that's also been done before. I mean, if you remember, <laughs> this is going a little bit back, but uh, in 2007, Kobe Bryant was adamant that he wanted to be traded out of L.A. And he had he was his situation was a little bit different because he had a no trade clause, but they had a trade to Chicago, which is where that he wanted to he wanted to go, and he vetoed the trade because Luol Deng was in the trade, and he ended up staying, and they traded for Pau Gasol, and it was fine. So I could I guess I could see that happening. I do believe that deep down Dame wants to be in Portland, but he also wants to have a chance to be competitive and be contending. And if he feels that the organization is not going in that direction, then he probably will continue to feel the way that he feels. Uh, I will say this. I think this idea that's kind of been out there and has been floated by a few different people that if Dame isn't traded or if he's traded to somewhere besides Miami that he would not report to camp or wouldn't show up or wouldn't play or would sit out. I don't believe that for a second. I think Dame is more wired like Kevin Durant than he is like Ben Simmons or James Harden. He loves to play basketball more than anything. If he's not traded or if he's traded somewhere other than Miami, he will show up and he will be a pro and he will do his job. But even if he's not happy about it, and then maybe it gets revisited down the line. That's kind of where, you know, I obviously I haven't talked to Dame since the end of the season directly, but I, I would say that's probably my guess on where that lands right now. Yeah. Sean Hyken joining us from Vegas. Uh, Rose Garden Report here on the Bald Face Truth. You're kind of alluding to it there, but I'm curious what you think of the way that Dame's agent, Aaron Goodwin, has uh, handled proceedings so far to this point, uh, both in on-record and off-record comments and uh, different narratives uh, being pushed. Well, what have you made of, of what Goodwin is doing? Is this just an agent trying to do his job, or is there something more to read into there? I mean, what is Aaron Goodwin's job as Dame's agent? His job, Dame, his client tells him, I want to go to Miami. His job is to try to get him to Miami however he can. I honestly, like, as much as, you know, this stuff has gotten contentious with the media back and forth and different leaks and whatever else, I think both sides right now are doing what they would be expected to do in this situation. I think Aaron Good, like I said, Aaron Goodwin's job is to try to get his guy where he wants to go. And Joe Cronin's job is to try to get the best deal he can if they do decide to trade Dame. So, I really don't, I mean, I understand that, like, you know, people want to kind of take sides and say one side is at fault or the other. I don't really have an issue with the way either side is handling this right now. You know, what you mentioned at the top was also interesting to me, insofar as, of course, all the Dame stuff is fascinating, but Joe Cronin taking accountability and saying that he failed Damian Lillard, you know, there is no chance, and this is my opinion, but there is no chance those words are coming out of the mouth of Joe Cronin's predecessor, uh, what was the feeling uh, like for you, and w- was there any type of reaction in the room when Joe Cronin explicitly said, hey, that was on me for not building a contender around Dame like we said we would? Well, it's not the first time that he's done that. At his exit interview back in April, he was asked about the progress that he thinks Chauncey Billups has made as a coach, 
And he said something pretty similar about how I put Chauncey's failures more on me than I do on him because I didn't give him a talented enough roster. I mean, I think I would agree with you that there's no chance Neil Olshay would have ever done or said anything like that. Uh, and I, you know, I would say the feeling in the room just after the press conference was that he was a Joe kind of did what he needed to do. He, you know, he dug his, he basically respectfully dug his heels in and said, look, we're not, he didn't say, obviously you can't comment on specific trade negotiations because that's not legally allowed in the CBA and he would get fined. But he basically said without saying it, we are not taking that Miami offer and something else is going to have to present itself for us to trade Dane is basically kind of what I took away from it. You know, Cronin didn't really mention it in his press conference, Sean, but what do you think of, you know, potential ownership involvement, quote-unquote, like where, where Jody and Burt, um, at what point do they get involved with these Damian Lillard trade uh, trade uh, possibilities, and do they have any influence whatsoever? I mean, the ownership has to sign off on any move that anybody makes, whether it's on the basketball side or the business side. I can tell you, I don't think Blazers' ownership wants to trade Damian Lillard because he... You know, he's going to sell tickets. He's going to sell jerseys. And I know people are really excited about Scoot Henderson right now. And he looked awesome his first uh, game in Summer League before he got hurt. But Scoot Henderson is not Damian Lillard as far as star power in the city of Portland. I don't think Jody Allen and Burt Cole are really itching to give that up and, you know, just to cut costs or whatever. So I think they, you know, I'm assuming I haven't heard anything that just said that Joe Cronin doesn't have full authorization to trade Damian Lillard. But, you know. Joe, you know, Joe has to look out for his own career, too. And if he makes a bad deal to trade that guy, then, you know, that is not good for him either. So I, you know, I think I think ownership would love it if Dame was still around. But I think if Joe gets a deal that he thinks is a good deal, I don't think they would stand in the way of him making it. So Scoot debuts uh, and gets hurt in the second half, so only goes 21 minutes, but looks pretty good in those 21 minutes. Uh, You've got guys like Bill Simmons saying that he's going to be an absolute bleeping star. (laughs) Is that too too high standards to put on the 19-year-old at this point, or what are your overall impressions of, of Scoot Henderson? He looked real good that first half before he got injured, and I think it's a different kind of good than Damian Lillard. Like he's not an outside shooter like Dame is. He's more of a slasher or and, and like a you know drive and kick type of guy. You know, attacking the rim type of point guard is a different type of guy than than Dame is. But it's, it's it's really exciting. I mean, I I see why the hype is what it was. I'll fully admit I did not watch a ton of G League Ignite games, but. After seeing, and I know there's only so much you can read into the first, you know, into a one half of one summer league game or really any summer league game, but I think he, you know, I think there's a reason people are as excited about it as they are. The Jeremy Grant Matisse Tybel moves also made official. Uh, they followed Cronin this afternoon at the press conference. Were those moves also going to happen regardless of the Damian Lillard trade request? And what do you make of Grant and Tybel coming back to Portland? I think so. I mean, I think the Grant deal's been done basically since. January or February, I've been reporting pretty close to what the number ended up being. Uh, you know, when you trade for somebody like Jeremy Grant, who has one year left on his contract, you don't make that trade assuming it's going to be a one-year rental. You make that trade assuming that there's kind of a handshake agreement that you know it's going to go. There's going to be more, and it's going to it's going to you know go longer than that. And with Tybal, I think you know they would. I, I, you can say maybe it was an overpay, you know, a little bit for what he's done in the league, but I think they weren't going to let an asset like that walk for nothing. And I think they feel like he's young enough that he still has a lot of room to get better. And he's also a guy that I think whatever direction the roster is going, 
whether they end up keeping Dame and trying to contend. Matisse Thibel is a guy that I think can be a rotation player on a good team. And if you do decide to go young and rebuild, Matisse Thibel is a you know good defensive guard that I think makes sense to put next to Scoot and Shaden. So I wasn't really surprised that either one of them were back. What's Wemby like close up? Oh my God. He had this one play that happened probably about five feet in front of me where he shot a floater from one side of the basket, missed it, got his own rebound on the other side of the basket, and then put it back and dunked over Ibu Baji, the Blazers' uh, <laughs> summer league center. It was, it's pretty unreal watching that guy up close. I did not see the first game that he played against Charlotte because I was doing like Blazers post game media stuff. I didn't see any of that game. I heard he did not look good in that game. He looked pretty incredible in the game last night. And, I think, you know, it, it's hard to judge too much off of Summer League, especially for a guy like him, because he's going to be better when he's surrounded by good players. But, I mean, it's, you kinda, it's, it's, he does some stuff I have not seen a lot of players do. What else are you looking for at Summer League? Blazers' next game is tomorrow night, I believe. Well, I'm out after, so I probably won't be seeing much of it from that. I'm, <laughs> I suppose I'm interested to see if Scoot Henderson plays again. They, you know, he obviously didn't play last night against San Antonio because of the shoulder injury, but uh, they said he was day to day. They didn't rule him out for all of summer. So I, that to me, that's an encouraging sign that the shoulder injury isn't serious. My guess is that he probably wants to play another game or two and the organization might feel like they've seen enough and don't want to risk it. So I'll be interested to see where that lands, I guess. I know you're tight on time. You got uh, Blazers practice to get to. Just wanted to let you know. Love the podcast in addition to the publication. Uh, really appreciate uh, all the work you do at Rose Garden Report, Sean Hyken, and thanks for making time for us from Vegas. That's very nice of you to say, Judah. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, we will. Sean Hyken joined us uh, right before the show uh, from Vegas as he is now immersed in uh, Blazers practice from Summer League. There is a little bit of news out of Blazers Summer League that we'll get to with our big splash coming up next. We'll also talk a little home run derby and MLB All-Star game up in Seattle because you got, of course, Sherwood native Adley Rutschman involved in that one. Former Oregon State great. Also Julio trying to uh, go deep in the home run derby tonight as well. I think he's up against Pete Alonzo. Uh, so that's going to be interesting and fun. We'll also have coverage of that starting at 5 o'clock here on the flagship of the BFT Radio Network, 750 The Game. Bounce break and come back. Lots more to get to. Plus your calls at 503-417-7575. Your tweets at Judah Newby at 7.50 The Game. Hope you're enjoying your Monday on this July 10th right here on the Bald Space Truth Radio Network. A lot going on today. 503-417-7575. You've got any thoughts on the Damian Lillard ongoing saga, Joe Cronin's comments this afternoon. If you missed any of Cronin's comments, we'll reset some of them coming up in our next hour as well. We were also joined by Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report here on the Bald Face Truth, Newby and for Cazano. Hyken had some uh, really good insights on what he took away from Cronin's on-the-record comments. Cronin's first on-the-record comments since Damian Lillard officially asked for his trade back on July 1st. Uh, Before we get to any more of that, though, let's get to our big splash, the one thing you need to know today. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the Big Splash. Well, there were a couple different news items I was going to include on the Big Splash until the commercial break. And there's breaking news during the commercial break in college football. Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern head football coach, 
is the Northwestern head football coach no longer. Pat Fitzgerald will not return as head coach of the Wildcats, his alma mater. He has been fired. Of course, Duck fans uh, with the former president at the University of Oregon, Michael Schill, left last year to take the post at Northwestern. So this is his call right now. Again, this news just breaking in the world of college football that Pat Fitzgerald, head coach at Northwestern, has been fired. He's been under fire in the last 24 to 48 hours or so with the uh, in the wake of some hazing allegations around the program that have since come to light. You had a former player that said, hey, there was a, a lot of hazing in the program and a lot of it of sexual nature uh, that was borderline, you know, sexual abuse. And, you know, this former player had plenty to say. He spoke to ESPN on condition of anonymity. Then there was another current player at Northwestern that went to ESPN and said he's talked to the former player and the former player basically told him, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to see Pat Fitzgerald rot in jail. He, and, and the former player that brought these allegations to light in the first place. And, you know, they're, they're you know, I, I haven't read all of them, but they, what I have read is um, pretty disturbing stuff that I really hope is not anything remotely close to commonplace in college football. And I've been naive before. I get it. But come on. Come on. This doesn't happen at every single program or every single university. At least I sure as hell hope it doesn't. Hazing might happen from time to time, but, it might, you know, hopefully it's mild and good-natured at its best. But I think we're seeing what hazing looks like at its worst at a place like Northwestern. And Pat Fitzgerald, who previously said, I had no knowledge of any hazing whatsoever. Did it occur in our locker room? Did it not occur in our locker room? I can't say for sure one way or the other, but I had no knowledge of it. Well, the former player that brought these allegations said, um, actually, he absolutely did have knowledge of it. And Michael Schill, again, former Oregon president, now the president at Northwestern, initially suspended Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks without pay in the middle of summer, well before Big Ten Media Day, well before anything of consequence on the college football calendar. And uh, we talked about it a little bit in the big splash, I think on Friday with uh, myself and Stephen Vaughn. And we were like, oh, it's kind of weird, you know, and that's not really that much of a discipline. Two weeks when there's nothing going on without pay. Like if it was an actual legitimate punishment, do this during the season, during uh, at least fall camp or have him miss a game or something. But you know how the world of college football is. It's, you know, you just try to sweep it under the rug and hope nobody notices. Well, people noticed. People noticed. And the more, as the hours went on and more kind of came to light about just how uh, distasteful, you know, the uh, the allegations were, and Pat, and just how much Pat Fitzgerald knew of what was going on at Northwestern, now he's fired. And that's a guy that had been there since 2006. Northwestern, uh, I don't know if you know this, tough place to succeed athletically. Tough place to succeed academically if you get in. Um, you know, I, I did my undergrad about 45 minutes away from Evanston and got spent some time on that campus. Beautiful campus right there on the lake. You know, just uh, a little bit northwest of, of Chicago. But tell you what, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald got Northwestern to a kind of consistent level of competing until last year when the bottom dropped out. That 
you know, you thought that he was just going to be an institution there. Well, you know what takes down institutions, as we found out with more than one example, sad to say, Joe Pa, Penn State, others, and this is nothing quite like that, but, you know, it's still disturbing stuff, is letting things happen under your peer view that you claim you had no knowledge about and either should have had knowledge about or decided to turn a blind eye or were straight up lying, which I think all of those are in play with Pat Fitzgerald. So, you know, people really like Pat Fitzgerald. Plus, there's a lot of guys that cover college football in uh, in journalism, and I'm seeing a lot of, uh, you know, hand-wringing among college football writers that uh, went to Northwestern because they've got one of the best journalism schools in the country, uh, right up there with, with Missouri, even Oregon, obviously, has got a good, really good J school. and uh, But Northwestern held in high regard, turned out a number of media members, broadcasters. Uh, obviously, Syracuse is in that conversation, especially for broadcasters. But, and I'm seeing these guys like, man, I thought I knew Pat Fitzgerald. This sounds nothing like the Pat Fitzgerald I thought I knew personally. And now he's just fired because we, we didn't have a whiff of this going on. And now just one former player comes out, brings these allegations to light, has a face-to-face meeting with Michael Schill. And to Michael Schill's credit, I guess, he rescinds the two-week punishment that he gave for Pat Fitzgerald. And he came out late last week and said, hey, you know what? There's a chance that I was mistaken with the two-week uh, two suspension for Fitzgerald. Not only am I going to walk all that back, but now here we are, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, out in Big Ten country, and Pat Fitzgerald is no longer the head coach of Northwestern football. Big news. Pat Fitzgerald fired. That's our big splash. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming up. We'll get some punch and audio and a whole lot more. And your calls here on the BFT. Been a fun show. Been a busy show so far today. You can chime in at 503-417-7575. An hour to go here on the radio show in Portland at 5 o'clock. We'll transition to coverage of the Home Run Derby. Elsewhere on the BFT Radio Network, you'll have the best of John Canzano and the Bald Fish Truth starting at 5 o'clock. Talking a little uh, Joe Cronin and his press conference delivered this afternoon in Las Vegas. Said some really revealing things, some really interesting things that we'll get to and reset later this hour. We also talked to Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report. If you missed any part of that, you can catch the podcast. But we'll also uh, replay a couple of Sean's uh, answers a little bit later this hour as well. I want your thoughts on the Damian Lillard saga. How excited you were to see Scoot Henderson, which, by the way, that was going to be my big splash before the Pat Fitzgerald news broke. Pat Fitzgerald, by the way, fired by Northwestern and School president Michael Schill, the former president at University of Oregon, firing his football coach now in Evanston in the wake of uh, a hazing scandal that Fitzgerald claimed to have no knowledge about. Sounds like Michael Schill and uh, the decision makers near the lake are uh, seeing that otherwise. And Pat Fitzgerald, who's been there since 2006, was a football player at Northwestern himself. Seemed to be the man for the job, and now he is out. Could not handle his program and uh, could not really lead it responsibly. It's such a weird thing, man. Like, you wouldn't think that Pat Fitzgerald would be uh, someone that would 
have these types of things going on in the background and either A, not know about it, or B, lie about it when asked. But there's a lot of different things to being a good head coach in college football or a good coach in general, and it extends a hell of a lot further than on-field motivation and weird tactics. And I get, like, trying to get players' attention. I get trying to motivate. And some people have creative ways to motivate. This ain't that. This is just being stupid. Shame on the players at Northwestern. Shame on Pat Fitzgerald. And he's out of a job. Sounds like rightfully so. But at the same time, I was like, man. Between that and then everything going on with Bob Huggins at West Virginia, who (laughs) sends an email to decision makers in Morgantown saying, you know, you can take this letter as a, as a notice of my resignation. And then a few weeks later, after they accept his notice of resignation, he said, well, I never really officially resigned. This is after making incredibly insensitive comments on a Cincinnati based radio show just a month ago. This is after a real bad DUI arrest a couple of weeks later then sending in his notice of resignation and then saying, wait a second, I never actually resigned. What is going on, man? What is going on? Is it too much to ask someone in the uh, ranks of coaching and highly competitive athletics to just to be an upstanding individual with nothing to hide? Is that too much to ask anymore? At least it makes me thankful as a fan of sports in our state that we've got people like Jonathan Smith, that we've got people like Dan Lanning. Obviously, we're still getting to know Dan Lanning, but it seems like all signs point to him being a really true and upstanding man of high character. Hopefully, that won't come back to haunt me, but seriously, the interactions with the man, the interviews, seems like a a really uh, trustworthy, genuine football coach, and I get that sense from everyone down in Eugene as well. Certainly get that sense uh, with Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Um, You know, makes me glad that we've got people like Scott Ruick and Kelly Graves coaching the women's programs. You know, guys like Mitch Canham and Mark Wazikowski at at the head of the baseball programs. You know, Dana Altman and Wayne Tinkle, you know, for their various levels of success. At least there's... uh, at least there's nothing quite like what's going on in Northwestern right now going on at any of the local programs, you know, around our state. So, you know, at least there's a little bit of silver lining with that. But at the same time, as soon as you, as you, as soon as you assume that anybody's in the clear or assume, as soon as you uh, assume that anybody's an, an upstanding person with nothing to hide, sometimes you get a bombshell. And uh, if there's one thing that we know in sports media, it's we never really know any of these people, at least not really, not truly, not deeply, uh, the way that they perceive them to be to the media or on social media or anything of the like. So Pat Fitzgerald fired as head coach at Northwestern. Just interesting how that all intersects with the world of Michael Schill, who is not even a year on the job maybe at Northwestern uh, after leaving University of Oregon to take that post in uh, in Evanston. 503 417 Let's play a little punch it audio, get to some uh, top sound from around the sports landscape here on the Bold Face Truth. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. So I'm a big baseball fan. You know, born and raised in this state from McMinnville. You know, did some undergrad out in the Midwest. I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, so when went to a lot of games at Wrigley Field when the Cardinals came to town. Went to a lot of games at Busch Stadium in St. Louis uh, when I had free weekends, including the 2011 playoff run in the World Series. I went to Game 7 of the World Series as a Cardinal fan at Busch Stadium in 2011, celebrated a championship. So... You know, when it comes to baseball prospects from our state, I get excited. I get really excited. I always get excited when, you know, Beaver's doing well. Of course, lately when the Ducks are doing well in baseball as well. And when there's good high school prospects coming out of the state of Oregon, it gets me excited. You know, I I was not a great high school baseball prospect. I played, you know, two years of varsity at McMinnville High. Go Grizz. Go Bears. All you uh, McMinnville people. McMinnville exploding, by the way. Shout out MacTown. And uh, I loved every minute of it. Now, that was back in the day when conferences were uh, a lot better than they, they were now. There was, you know, we had Mac, Newberg, Forest Grove, Tiger, Tualatin, Canby was, you know, in 6A back then. And uh, it was good stuff. So, But I remember some of the top pitchers that I would that I would face. Uh, some of you, you know, longtime Pac-12 fans might remember uh, Mitch Lamson, big left-hander out of Tualatin. Ended up uh, pitching at Arizona State. He was a couple years uh, ahead of me, but his little brother, Mark Lamson, was a right-hander. That guy was freaky freaks out of Tualatin. I remember going up against that guy. And then they also had a left-hander that went to Oregon later. I'm blanking on his name, but he was a little bit freaky as well. I remember getting in the batter's box at Tualatin and being like, hey, man, first, first fastball that I see that's anywhere close to being a strike, I'm swinging. I'm trying to get some early contact early in the count. And I think I popped up both times, but I got uh, got the bat on the ball. So I'm seeing there's this kid at Jesuit that's got a live arm. He's got a live arm. Mark Wasikowski got him as a commit at Oregon, but chances are he's probably not going to end up in college baseball. Why is that? Well, he's going to be a high pick in the MLB draft. His name, Noble Meyer. Kid is 6'5". If you follow baseball in our region, you probably heard of him. Dude is sitting like 96, 97 with the fastball, like sitting there, consistent. And every once in a while, hits triple digits. Like that's what we're talking about. So when you got stuff like that and a nasty slide piece that he actually calls his best pitch, you're going to go high in the MLB draft. And uh, last night in Seattle, where they're holding the draft this year, Rob Manfred made the announcement. With the 10th pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Miami Marlins select Noble Meyer, a right-handed pitcher from Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon. No, Rob. You almost got it, Rob. Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon. Probably not a great sign for MLB to PDX, right, if he uh, keeps calling it Oregon. But uh, I'll forgive you for that one, Rob. Jesuits Noble Meyer, right-hander, 10th overall pick to the Miami Marlins. 
He said uh, he's really excited about it. He's been watching the Marlins this year. Punch it. Absolutely. I mean, big big thing with Jazz Chisholm. I mean, he's I've loved watching him. Uh, Yuri Perez. He's one of my growing to be one of my new favorite pitchers. Uh, I mean, Marlins are exciting. Marlins are exciting. He also uh, spoke with MLB Network Radio. I love this answer. He's just going in-depth with his pitching arsenal. And again, this is, you know, the top prospect from our state. He won Oregon Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year this year. He is, you know, the highest drafted prospect from the state of Oregon since, of course, Adley, 2019, number one overall to Baltimore. But uh, this guy's the real deal. Tenth overall to Miami. I mean, your fastball is touching a hundred now, right? Not everybody has that in their arsenal. When did you start to feel like you had another gear and you're starting to throw the low nineties or high nineties? It was about once a year. I, I mean, I just kept ticking up each year. I have like a five or six mile hour velo jump, and next thing you know, I'm throwing a little harder, and then throwing a little harder about a year after that. So um, that was nice. Yeah. Break the repertoire down for Marlins fans listening around the country. Um, even though fastball's about 100, I mean, I, I'd say my slider is my best pitch still. High spin, uh, mid-80s, tons of sweep, and then fastball, then I'd say changeup. Uh, I don't throw it much, but it's it's very good. And then curveball, which I'm developing a little more, kind of steel strikes, and then potentially adding a cutter. Oh, you talked about your high spin on your slider. Is that something you've worked on? Like, Absolutely. Kind of break down how you monitor that and how you work on it. Yeah, so I work on like um, with uh, Rapsodo and TrackMan just seeing spin rates and uh, how the ball spins and all that. And I, I, with developing my slider, it used to be a little lower spin. I, I was able to throw it up to around 90, um, but it didn't move as much. It was a little, it's like a bullet slider. It was good. It was effective, but I figured that, or I learned that I, when I got sweep on it, when I moved back a little on the ball um i was able to get a little more sweep a lot more effective change the speed differential and that's when it turned really effective i got a lot more spin that bite was even sharper than it was before and all of a sudden it's my go-to pitch i don't know i could nerd out on baseball a little bit so i love that you know going in depth with his pitching arsenal and then just to think that this dude's like 18 years old headed to the big leagues um Man, the signing bonus was, gosh, I want to say it was around like five mil. I wrote it down somewhere. But uh, this guy, 6'5", out of Jesuit, he had a .33 ERA his senior year. 100 and, <laughs> 128 strikeouts in 31 games. Yeah, signing bonus slot value for the 10th overall pick. Almost $5.5 million. So, sorry, Waz. I think Noble Meyer is going to go to the big leagues. <laughs> Six foot five inches. And it's the first time Miami has uh, drafted a pitcher in the first round since 2017. And, you know, if you follow this stuff, Miami was like, yeah, we're going to take a hitter. We're going to take a hitter. We're going to take a hitter. And then they take a pitcher. And they're like, oh, my gosh, we can't believe he fell to us at 10. So I love the baseball draft. It, you know, obviously doesn't get the shine of the NFL and the NBA, but you can tell that they're trying to make a bigger deal about it. Uh, we'll stick with baseball because, come on now, we're going to hear the long ball coming up in about an hour or so right here on uh, 750 The Game, flagship of the BFT Radio Network. And Adley Rutschman's going to participate, and uh, he already is in the mood to crush long ones. Punch it. Rutschman, deep right field. He's headed to the home run derby, and he's playing a little long ball here. That's an upper deck shot. And Rutschman, a no-doubter. The Orioles make it 
a 10-1 ball game. He'll do it in Minneapolis first before we see him do it in Seattle. There's that six-degree upswing that Ted Williams used to talk about. So Adley's going to participate. Now, my thing is, you know, it's really tough, and I haven't done any research on this, so I could be wrong, but it's I think it would be tough to go into your first home run derby and win it just because it's a whole different, you know, competition. It's a different point, especially if you pride yourself on being a pretty good pure hitter. And Adley's got a great eye. Like, he gets a ton of walks. Um, doesn't seem like he's that much of a bad ball hitter, you know, where you kind of have to expand your zone a little bit depending on who's pitching to you, which, by the way, his dad is going to pitch to him, which is the best thing ever. His dad, Randy, is going to be his his uh, his pitcher for the home run derby. This is the best thing, man. The Baltimore Banner did this in-depth piece on Adley and uh, his dad, Randy. And if you know the name Rutschman, like, you know how deeply tied they are to the Willamette Valley. Uh, Linfield in particular. And look, I, like I said, I'm from I'm from Mac, so I grew up going to a lot of Linfield baseball, a lot of Linfield football games, played on those fields. And uh, Ad Rutschman, Adley's grandpa, legend, college football Hall of Famer, legend in those circles. Uh, Adley's uncle, Don, was my driver's ed teacher. Love Don. Shout out Don, wherever you are. Love to learn how to drive under Don's uh, tutelage. Great storyteller. And just a great family. So Randy gets to pitch to Adley tonight at T-Mobile Park, which is the ballpark Adley grew up going to as a kid. And, uh, he was on the set for MLB on Fox with guys like Alex Rodriguez, Big Poppy, Derek Jeter, Kevin Burkhart. And it was A-Rod that asked him what it meant to be able to come back to the Pacific Northwest for your first All-Star game. Punch it. How rewarding and how cool is it for you to come back to the Pacific Northwest and play in front of so many friends and fans? Yeah, it's it's the best. Um, you know, I grew up coming here. This is the this was the first and, and only ballpark I had been to growing up. Uh, so it just means so much. Uh, I remember sitting up in the in the third deck over in right field, watching the game, watching uh, Adrian Beltre hit an opposite field home run like it was yesterday. Um, but just just being here means the world. Um, and I got all the friends and family here, and so it just feels so familiar, but just weird that it's in this uh, environment. How many tickets? Uh, quite a few. And stuff, you, know, you, don't wanna, you don't want to say no to anyone, but... Good guy, Adley. It's just cool, man. I'm a sucker for good baseball in our state and good stories that come out of it. And Adley Rutschman is certainly one of those. And uh, you're starting to see, man, these Beavers guys from that from that team, especially that 2018 team. Madrigal, Madrigal had a home run the other day, his first uh, as a Cubby. Madrigal, Larnick doing stuff with Minnesota. Rasmussen, he's hurt right now, but you know he was doing stuff with the Rays. We're just flying. And then, of course, Adley, who's just on fire. And uh, all those guys from the 2018 team, K.J. Harrison, they're just great, you know, great stories. That uh, It was great to get to know them a little bit during that College World Series run. But uh, Adley Rutschman going to be in the home run derby with his dad pitching to him, I think is awesome. That's coming up at uh, 5 o'clock, and we're going to have coverage of that here on 750 The Game flagship of the BFT Radio Network at that time. Elsewhere, Dave McMenamin, he's an NBA insider for ESPN. He joined the Dan Patrick Show this morning, and uh, Dan asked him if the Trailblazers have any leverage in these Damian Lillard negotiations. And McMenamin, you know, 
He's been around the block a little bit. He's followed LeBron predominantly, and uh, his stops around Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland, and now with the Lakers. McMenamin says uh, this situation kind of reminds him about a similar situation he saw a few years ago in Cleveland. Punch it. What leverage do the Trailblazers have with Dame Lillard and the Miami Heat? I'm not so sure how much, you know, other than the, the fact that, you know, there is no trade clause um, that, that Dame will have to be able to block a trade should he decide he doesn't like that situation. And that would allow the Blazers, obviously, to, to find any sort of situation out there that they felt like they can get the best deal from. And ultimately, maybe that does make this a, a two or, or three or four team trade mm-hmm. if they can get the Clippers or the Knicks or the Sixers involved with some of their assets. But, uh, you know, there's the next leverage play would be, and I I covered a similar situation like this in 2017 when Kyrie Irving asked for a trade and the Cavs didn't find a trade partner until August uh, with the Boston Celtics. And, you know, August, that's when the murmurs started coming out. Well, you know, I, I do have this bulky knee that, I could get that knee cleaned up, and and you know if you if I'm still in Cleveland when training camp starts, well, I may not be ready to be on the court because I may got to get this this mm. knee fixed. Mm. That would be the play that that Damian Lillard's camp could make. It, it would be well, you, know, you want to keep me in Portland, uh, you're not going to see me on the court. That's interesting. And first, I have a couple of thoughts from that. One, we do forget historical precedents all too quickly. You mentioned, uh, well, Sean Hyken mentioned, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of notes from NBA history past. One was the Kobe Chicago almost trade in 2007, when uh, you know Chicago was his preferred trade destination, but the only way he would get there is if Luol Deng came back to LA, and Kobe said, "No, I don't want to go play for the Bulls if Luol Deng is not going to be there. Like, I need him to be my teammate." So he didn't go. Stay with the Lakers. Won another ring. Um, and then for this Dame situation, yeah, the Kyrie 2017, I think that's interesting. You know, that trade didn't materialize. That sent Kyrie to Boston from Cleveland until August. He used his knee and his health as a potential, hey, I'm not going to play if you keep me. But the difference with this one is, I think if you're the Blazers, that's okay. That is just fine. You know, if you don't want to play for us, that's all right, man. That's your call. Because we are rebuilding anyway. We have no incentive to win a lot of games with you on the floor right now anyway. Plus, if you play, chance you get hurt, lose your trade value. So that's where I think McMenamin's comparison with Kyrie in 2017 falls a little short for me is, that's all right, man. If Dame stays here and doesn't play, I think that's kind of the best of both worlds for the Blazers because now you are not risking injury with him. You're also not risking losing any potential value by trading him before the season. Uh, you know, assuming that you can get better value for him as teams get more desperate when the season approaches. And you're also on a better timeline without Damian Lillard as far as the, you know, the rebuilding project is concerned as a franchise. So if Lillard decides, hey man, I'm not going to play for you unless you trade me. I say, you know what? That's okay. We're not going to trade you that yet. And uh, you don't have to play. Dame, 33-year-old Damian Lillard, you don't have to play. That's that's fine with us. I think that'd be probably, honestly, the best situation for the Blazers moving forward. 
Uh, 503-417-7575. By the way, some breaking news out of Blazers Summer League. Scoot Henderson will not play tomorrow night against Charlotte. He was ruled out of a Sunday's game against Wembenyama and the Spurs, of course, with the shoulder injury suffered after 21 minutes of action in Friday's opener against Houston. And uh, word coming down out of Vegas right now as well that Scoot will not play tomorrow night. But he hasn't really been ruled out of Summer League altogether, at least not yet. He's still day-to-day, but he won't play tomorrow night against the Hornets. So we won't see the number three overall pick against the number one overall pick in Wembenyama, and now we won't see the number three overall pick against the number two overall pick, which is Charlotte and Brandon Miller. Speaking of, I don't know how you guys feel about Bill Simmons, but the dude makes me laugh, and I really enjoy his podcast, especially in in football season with with the cuz. If you know, you know. But I really like his banner with Ryan Rosillo. It just makes me laugh. It's funny. It's lighthearted, but I kind of agree with him on his take on Scoot Henderson. I'm going to play that for you. Coming up on the other side of the break, you tell me if you agree or disagree. 503 at 417-7575. Also, tweet at 750 the game at Judah Newby. We'll also reset some of the top sound from Joe Cronin. Gave his press conference earlier this afternoon. We played some of it in hour one, but if you missed it, we'll play some of it coming up as well. And Sean Hyken, who joined us earlier in the program. Taking you up to 5 o'clock here in Portland before we join the Home Run Derby coverage as well. And uh, if you're also a BFT affiliate outside of Portland, you'll have Best of the Bald Face Truth coming up at 5 o'clock. Newbie in for Kazano right here on the BFT. He looked real good that first half before he got injured. And I think it's a different kind of good than Damian Willard. Like, he's not an outside shooter like Damian. He's more of a slasher or and, and like a you know, drive and kick type of guy, you know, it's attacking the rim type of point guard. It's a different type of guy than, than Dame is, but it, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, I I see why the hype is what it was. I'll fully admit I did not watch a ton of G League Ignite games, but after seeing it, I know there's only so much you can read into the first half, you know, into a one half of one summer league game or really any summer league game, but I think he, you know, I think there's a reason people are as excited about it as they are. That was Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report, joined us in hour one from Vegas. Early impressions on one Scoot Henderson. And uh, look, before his summer league debut on Friday's radio show, I said, I got a feeling about this guy that he is just going to steal all the headlines. Now, I didn't think he'd get hurt. And honestly, that's kind of worst case scenario except for the fact that it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything too serious. He was ruled out Sunday against San Antonio. He's also just been ruled out for Tuesday against Charlotte. So take that for what it is. But he hasn't been out and out ruled out for all of Summer League. Uh, He wasn't in a sling. He got an MRI. Things seem to be okay on his right shoulder. It's just a little ominous when, uh, you know, the next face of your franchise gets hurt in his first Summer League game. And a little too similar to Shaden last year in his first Summer League game, getting banged up, missing all of Summer League. But it's just Summer League. It's just Vegas. It's going to be okay. Especially when you put that up against what Scoot looked like on the floor in 21 minutes of action Friday against Houston. Guy was active. Did some really sweet stuff. Crossover, step back, jumper from about 18 feet. That was pure. The reverse land. Underneath the rim, uh, right o- over uh, Jabari Smith and Tari Eason, and just guiding that thing in with grace, composure, finesse looked awesome. And that's that's finesse. Not to mention the power 
that this guy has. And this, yeah, he is just built absolutely differently. So I was really fired up about him. I, you know, if he stayed healthy, I thought he was going to win summer league MVP. I thought this was going to be the summer league that we look back on and say, that was the Scoot Henderson summer league year. I remember that, you know, you just hang your hat on, Hey, 2023 summer league. That was, that was the Scoot year. And uh, it becomes kind of the foundation for the legend of Scoot and Rip City. You know, I try not to buy into narratives too much, but that was the narrative that was building in my head that I fully believed. I just think this guy is built different. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one. And I know a lot of you feel that way out in Portland as well, especially at a time when a existing legend is on his way out, we think. It's uh, all the more reason to be hopeful about the incoming potential legend, we think. And that's on a local level. Well, nationally speaking... I listen to a lot of podcasts, both informative, entertaining. Bill Simmons is probably some delicious balance between the two. I think he's great. Not everybody enjoys him. I get it. It's fine. Uh, I got a lot of friends in Boston as well, so maybe that's part of it too. Is is I don't mind a little bit of a New England flavor, even though, you know, I hate New England sports teams. It's great. But Simmons is all in on Scoot. All in. I don't have to tell you. This is part of uh, the audio from his Sunday night podcast. This I broke it up into three parts because it touches on three different aspects of Scoot Henderson and the Trailblazers. But yeah, you don't have to uh, you don't have to parse much to know how big of a fan of Scoot Bill Simmons is. So my plane was late and we missed the first half. Got in for the second half, and he played. I don't know ten minutes before he got hurt. I only needed to see four. He's going to be a f***ing star. Like, you could, people can cut this out. They can put it with, like, Titanic music five years from now. I'm going to be right. This guy's a star. He f***ing has it. I'll fight you to the death if you disagree with me. Like, he has it. He just has it. I've been watching basketball my whole life. I know who has it and who doesn't. He f***ing has it. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. The passion, the expletives, you know. And, you know, it's just a guy with no rooting interest in the Blazers basically saying, hey, Portland, you have a superstar on your hands. Not a star, not a, you know, couple-time all-star. You have an absolute bona fide megastar on your hands. And he's talking about the guy after 21 minutes of summer league action. Like, I don't know, man. I file that away in my brain as, all right, like, say what you want about Simmons, but he wrote a book on basketball, big-ass book. Pyramid and everything, ranking like all the play. Like he's seen a lot of hoops, and uh, no, he's not a scout or anything like that. He's wrong plenty of times, but I don't know. Here in Portland, that's at least one national media member that's not saying, "Hey, you're going to be okay, Portland." At least you've got a potential star on your hands. At least there's a chance that Scoot Henderson becomes something. No, dude, Bill Simmons is putting his flag in the ground and saying, "This cat, Scoot." is the capital R real capital D deal. And other teams are going to have to deal with him for years to come. You can do two things that you can see right away in four minutes. He can go by, he can go by anyone he wants. He's downhill all the time, all the time. The other guys are, the defenders are terrified of him. He can go right by you. He can go left by you. It doesn't matter. He's going by you. He's got speed. He's got athleticism. He's strong enough to bounce against big guys. I haven't seen anybody this young 
be able to do this since Rose and Westbrook. Those are the last two guys that had this kind of athleticism and ferocity that they play with. He carries himself like an alpha. He can already run NBA sets and he's running pick and rolls and stuff. This guy is a star. So he mentions Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook. Now, here in Portland, we kind of collectively groan at the Russell Westbrook just because we're conditioned in our heads to consider him public enemy number one until he fell from glory and now is signing two-year deals worth $6 million <laughs> with the Clippers. But um, Russell, <clears throat> that was some serious athleticism that we had not quite been used to seeing. And, and a speed. Russell played at a speed that we weren't used to seeing either and uh, worked really darn well for him. The guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame. All right? He's got that number of all-NBA nods and, and all-star nods. So if you say Scoot Henderson's going to be a future Hall of Famer, Mm, yeah, sign me up for that. Thank you. The Derek Rose one's also interesting because Rose was explosion and athleticism and clutch factor that we hadn't seen. Chicago was starving for the next star post Jordan for, you know, a better part of a decade. Now, I was an undergrad out there when Rose was winning MVPs. I think he won his MVP in the uh, 2010 to 11 season. Whenever the Blazers came out to Chicago, I would go to United Center, sometimes a shout-out wheels, shout-out wheels, love you. Um, and, by the way, Madhouse on Madison, which not really the original Madhouse on Madison, the way that the old Chicago Stadium was. And that was the other thing. I loved the Walton Dock on ESPN. That was so beneficial for someone in my generation to watch some of that film of Walton against artist Gilmore in the playoffs in the Chicago Stadium. Like, that made me feel a certain type of way that was... That was awesome, and I needed to feel that way. Walton taking on Kareem in the conference finals and beating him and owning him. Like, Bill Walton was that dude when he was healthy. Unfortunately, he wasn't healthy nearly long enough. But that was, you know, props to everybody who put that doc together. That was awesome. And encourage, if you haven't seen it, it's on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, you should go check it out. But, uh, yeah, Ch Chicago is an incredible sports town. And when Rose, you know, elevated to the to the level that he did, you couldn't get away from it in Chicago at that time. And, um, you know, Brandon Roy was, you know, still with the Trailblazers at that time. So saw Brandon, you know, still had Rudy Fernandez. But I got to see up close Rose against Roy and a bunch of stuff in Chicago uh, during that stretch. And Derek Rose was a different type of athlete as well. So for Scoot Henderson to be getting the athletic comparisons to Russell Westbrook and Derek Rose, that's not something we should take lightly like that. That's crazy. And yet, there's also comparisons that I've seen that he is as refined of a 19-year-old prospect as Chris Paul was at that age coming out of Wake. You know, he's a little older than Scoop, but, you know, he had, like, the refinement to his game of a Chris Paul. I remember going and seeing Chris Paul when he was with the Hornets as a rookie when they played the Blazers at Moda Center. And it was like, this guy's amazing. And uh, obviously we know the kind of player that Chris Paul became, another Hall of Famer. But these are the kind of, like, comparisons that Scoot Henderson is getting for his skill set. Obviously they're super lofty, but just the fact that they're being made with a straight face, or at least three quarters of a straight face, how does that not get your attention? Unless you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, in which case you might want to plug your ears, at least according to Bill Simmons. The Blazers have to trade Dane. 
get him the f out of there. Start the new era. This is this is they they hit the jackpot. Two team two teams passed on this guy. One couldn't pass on them because Wembenyama was there. But the Charlotte thing's gonna live in infamy. And I, I don't think Brandon Miller's gonna be a bust, but this is gonna haunt them. I'm just I'm saying it now. I'm not even predicting it. This is gonna be a disaster for Charlotte. If you're a Charlotte fan, I was talking to Tate all weekend, who's a big Charlotte fan. He is fing devastated. Like this Scoot's gonna be a guy. He just, he just is. And and we knew this and they didn't take him. That's the kind of the the irony if this plays out the way that I think we hope that it plays out. Michael Jordan just did Portland a massive solid after Portland did Mike a massive solid by not taking him. And I know it doesn't exactly work out that way, but you know, who knows? Does Jordan have the same career in Portland that he does in Chicago playing alongside Clyde? Maybe, maybe not. Don't know. But that irony of Portland passing on MJ in 84 for uh, for Bowie, Jordan becoming Jordan, and then all this time later, Portland's picking number three. Jordan's picking two. And I know, yeah, everyone say, hey, he's not really the owner there anymore. But he still was the decision maker. He's the outgoing majority owner at the time of the draft. He is the one that worked out Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, the final call was with Michael Jordan on that pick. And uh, they went with Brandon Miller. What a wild day draft day was with the odds swinging as volatile as I've ever seen them. Until, you know, last year with Paolo going number one. <laughs> like The odds on draft day are just crazy. But Scoot was a massive favorite to go number two to Charlotte the morning of the draft when Shams had that report. Scoot was minus 750. That is Massive odds to be the pick at two to Charlotte. And then by draft time, Miller was the favorite again. <laughs> and he ends up being taken number two. So can't trust what you see, especially on draft day. But it worked out for Portland. And if Bill Simmons is right here, two things. A, Dame is gone. And we knew that already. But Simmons is like, no, you got to get rid of him right now. Let's start this era while you can. You know, don't fool around. With the timeline. Don't make this a month-to-month -month thing if you're Joe Cronin. Like, commit. Commit to scoop. Make it happen. And then for Charlotte, it's probably not going to be a draft pick that you live down anytime soon. Miller might be good. He may be all right. Maybe an all-star every now and then. But if that's his ceiling, and Scoots is, you know, 5'6", time all-star, all-NBA guard, and then ultimately it comes down to team success because that's how you're going to be remembered. Even if Miller has fewer individual accolades than Scoot at the end of the day, if Charlotte has more playoff success and dare I say make it to like a conference final or a NBA finals, even though that's so hard to imagine, it's also hard to imagine it here. But if Charlotte is able to do that with Miller, like Miller will probably be considered in a more favorable light than Scoop, unless the chasm of individual accolades is just too much to ignore. Like Scoop, you know, seven, eight time all-star and Miller makes one, maybe two. But if they're anywhere close to comparable, and Charlotte has more team success. I think we remember this a little bit more fairly, but if Simmons is right, Scoot is that guy, and he is that special, and Charlotte is not going to live down the chance that they had to take him, even play him alongside LaMelo Ball, and instead taking Miller could totally change the tra trajectory of the franchise, and both for Portland and for Charlotte, and we'll see. We shall see. But it's kind of fun to juxtapose the hype around Scoop, both locally and nationally, to the anxiety around Dame and what to expect moving forward.
We'll take a break, come back, wrap up the show with some final thoughts. Take some of your calls at 503-417-7575. At 5 o'clock, we'll transition to a home run derby coverage right here on the BFT Radio Network flagship 750 The Game. Best of the Bald Face Truth coming up elsewhere on the BFT Radio Network at 5. Nubian for Kazano on the Bald Face Truth. All right, going to finish strong here, taking you up to uh, 5 o'clock when we'll join coverage of the MLB Home Run Derby here on uh, 750 The Game, flagship of the BFT Radio Network. Best of the Bold Face Truth coming up elsewhere on the network as well. Newbie in for Kazano. It's been a busy day, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Sean Casey, the the mayor of baseball, Sean Casey, is he's been an analyst at the MLB Network since 2008. Obviously, you remember him as a as a player in the big leagues as well. He is going to be the next hitting coach of the New York Yankees. Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner fired the Yankees hitting coach over the weekend. Um, you know they're they're hitting among the league worst in team average. Obviously, Aaron Judge has been out as well, but uh, it's been it's been bad uh, at the plate. So they fire him and they bring in the mayor, Sean Casey, who we love. He's been out out of the game since 08, coming back to be the hitting coach of the pinstripes, the Bronx Bombers, bringing in the mayor. How cool is that? You know, Otani's great, but I'm going to be watching second half for, for Sean Casey in the Bronx. Let's go. Oh, that's great. 503-417-7575. Uh, we'll get to a little bit of Cronin audio before we we uh, head out. We had it in hour one, but if you missed it, we'll play a couple more clips before we get out of here. But first, Bob is in Milwaukee. I mentioned I'm a Cardinal fan, and uh, I think Bob in Milwaukee's calling on that front. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Good, Judy. How you doing? Great. Hey, so do you know the story about how Bush Stadium was named? Oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah. Okay. So. It is Bush Stadium, yes, and I yeah. think it was Sportsman's Park uh, prior to going to Bush Stadium. But I remember it was not supposed to be called Bush Stadium, was it? Uh, but I can't remember exactly how that uh, how that originated. Enlighten me. So the Bush family came to the Commissioner of Baseball. They were building the stadium, so we want to call it Budweiser Stadium, and the Commissioner says no. We're not having a stadium named after a beer. That's not going to happen. And so the Bush family said, well, can we use our family name called Bush Stadium? And the commissioner said, well, yeah, of course you can. As soon as they signed all the documents, Mr. Bush says, get me a beer named Bush. (laughs) I forgot about that, Bob. That's pretty legendary. Are you a Cardinal fan? No, actually, I'm not, but I heard that story. It's a great story about how to get one over on a commissioner. That's pretty, you know, phenomenal marketing as well. And, Bob, thanks for the call. It's going to be Budweiser Stadium. Commissioner says, uh, yeah, the hell we're going to have a beer sponsor naming rights to our stadium. And we're like, okay, I will raise you a name sponsor, and uh, I'll just call it by my name, Bush Stadium. You're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Oh, and we're going to launch a beer called Bush Beer. Like, what? That's great. Just lovely, uh, lovely marketing there by the, the Bush family. But yeah, I, I, I love going to, uh, to ball games there. It's been a little bit since I've been able to get out to St. Louis, but 
I laugh at this. Best Philly cheesesteak I've ever had. Summer night, Bush Stadium in St. Louis. I still remember that cheesecake. Cheesesteak, I should say. Uh, I was watching uh, Milwaukee was in town, so it was Pujols and Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun. Missed some good talent there. Obviously, Braun roided, but whatever. And I had a cheesesteak that was the best cheesesteak I've ever had in my life. And I've been to Philly. And uh, had some cheesesteaks there, too. Chickies and Pete's when you're out in Philly. If you know, you know. But the one I had in St. Louis, nothing could top that. Now I'm getting really hungry, so sorry about that. But before we sign off, if you missed any Cronin audio, uh, here's probably the clip that stood out to me the most, and it's probably going to make the most rounds uh, that you'll that you'll uh, that you'll hear. The timeline on a potential Lillard deal, as far as what to expect on that front. How long could this thing take? Well, Cronin said, "Settle in. Could be a while." I think what I've learned more than anything is patience is critical. Like, don't be reactive. Don't jump at things just to seemingly solve a problem. Um, I think the teams that have ended up the, in the most positive situation post-trade have been the ones that have been really diligent and taken their time and been not been impulsive or, you know, the teams that really kept their urgency under control. So I think that's how my approach is gonna, has been with this and will be with this, is we're going to be patient, we're gonna do what's best for our team, um, and we're gonna see you know how this lands, and if it takes months, it takes months. If it takes months, it takes months. Frankly, I'd love to hear that. I thought that was exactly what he needed to say, and you know that that was completely intentional. Like there was no reason he had, to, it wasn't like, Yes or no, Cronin, will this take months? And he's like, eh, yes. No, like he volunteered that language. He knew that that answer was in his quiver. And uh, he brought it out and he shot it. And that's great because you know what? That tells you, Pat Riley, we're not in a hurry. We're not going to play our hand early. We're going to hold ourselves. We're going to play this tight to the vest. We're willing to sit. And if Dame, you know, is ultimately just asking to go to one place and one place only... Well, this is part of the consequences of signing the extension that you did a year ago, asking out a year later, which, again, we understand and, frankly, respect. Like, we get it. But the consequences of that are this is going to get messy, and it's going to take a while, and we are not going to ship you out before we get the best return value possible. Is that an established player? Perhaps. Is it a couple of good players and some picks? Perhaps. Is it only picks and a bunch of them? Cronin said there's a chance that that could happen too. He is keeping all of his options open in terms of return packages. He is keeping all of his options open in terms of timeline. And I think that's great. I think Cronin did a really nice job today. And he also took accountability and said, I failed Damian Lillard. That was also refreshing to hear because there's no way in hell his predecessor would have said those words. Thanks to Sean Hyken. Thanks to all of you. We'll be back tomorrow. Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network.